I get home and what I do is it's September. So I don't go out. I stay in my parents' house. I shelter myself because if I go out in the city, people can say, why are you at home? Aren't you supposed to be in Indy? And so I stay in, I run from my reality and I tell people all the time, man, and I learned this, what you suppress will turn into depression. And at that moment, I was running from my reality. We are back with another episode of Comeback Stories, and I can promise you this will be an epic one. We're here today with Trent Shelton, former NFL wide receiver who is now absolutely crushing it in the personal development space on so many platforms. He's one of the top public speakers in the world. I can attest to this because I've seen him in person, and the dude absolutely brings the fire. Trent, welcome, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Just honored to be able to share you guys' platform today and hopefully impact some lives. So thank you. Cool. We dive right into it. And to shape the story, we want to know a little bit more about what growing up for you was like. Yeah. So I grew up in Kenner, Louisiana, pretty much New Orleans area. And uh, two older brothers had both parents in the household. So my two older brothers, like I always tell people, you know, when I got out the womb, it was like sports because they're four years and seven years older than me. So all I've known my whole entire life growing up was was just sports, you know, baseball, basketball, football um, and supportive parents. You know, uh, I was telling somebody the other day, man, it's just crazy that, you know, what I thought was normal really wasn't normal. I mean, my parents at every basketball game or football game and just the support was tremendous. And we ended up moving to Texas when I went into middle school. So that's where I'm at now. We moved to Fort Worth, Texas. And, you know, Texas, I mean, it's just kind of a different vibe when it comes to sports and, you know, you got to level up. So football ended up being kind of my go-to. I love basketball, but football was just a better sport for me. And that's pretty much it, man. So a normal childhood, nothing too crazy, but uh, a lot of support, a lot of love, and just a lot of competition with two older brothers. Mm. What do you feel like from, from your childhood? We try to get into when we're crafting our story um, the struggles, the pain. Can you share with us an early memory of pain that yeah. you had? Yeah, for sure. So my earliest memory, I struggled bad. I was asthmatic and I struggled really, really bad, especially in New Orleans, the humidity there. And at that time, back in the early nineties, you know, it wasn't too much research on how to handle it. And what, I don't know what they call it now. They probably have a proper term, but I had what they call coughing asthma. So I was coughing like so bad. I remember I was in second grade. I was coughing so bad that my blood vessels popped. So all the white around my eyes were red. And I remember going to school and people would call me like a demon child and like people were afraid. And, you know, it got so bad that my mom's friend, she had saw me and she said, you need to take this baby to the hospital right now. And so we go to New Orleans, downtown Cook's Children Hospital on the way. I pretty much just stopped breathing and I was throwing up and we rushed, we pull over to the side of the road, get back in the car, rush to the ICU. And I remember like it was yesterday. I remember being in the ICU as a little kid hooked up to all these machines. And my parents had left. My mom went to go do something. My dad went to go do something, you know, with, you know, registering me in the hospital, whatever. And the doctors had left the room. And I still remember to this day, it was a guy, his son had just got shot and he was across from me. And my mom said, hey, keep eye on my son, you know, while I leave. And I literally stopped breathing, um, stopped breathing, blacked out. And all I remember is hearing that guy like really cussing out the doctors, like, get your ass in here. And I just remember waking up, man. And I spent a week or two in the hospital on the ICU floor, you know, with cancer patients, just seeing it. 
And at that moment in my life, I realized, man, just even at the age of six or whatever I was, seven, eight, I remember that it taught me that life is very fragile. And I dealt with that battle of asthma for so long. It would get to the point I would be so afraid not to even have my pump. I would have anxiety. And so, yeah, that was probably my earliest childhood struggle, man. It was it was tough for me. I almost died. But, you know, I ended up learning some more knowledge about dairy and not eating certain things that really helped me. And moving to Texas helped a lot, too. Sounds like you obviously learned something, but where else did you find, and we're getting a little bit ahead and then we'll come back, but where did you find purpose out of that pain? I know you have a lot of one-liners and I have a whole notes section just on your one-liners that I can't wait for for you to elaborate on. But what was the lesson in that early pain for you? Man, you know, when I look back, I probably didn't have, I guess, the words to say it then, but you know, never take life for granted was what I understood and understanding that there was a plan for my life that God had for my life. Even at that moment, I knew and just always think about that. Like I knew that there was something bigger for my life, just the experiences that I had. And now I think through that experience and everything that I've been through in my life, I'm always thinking about this pain is not here to break me. It's here to build me. Everything I've been through is building me up for a greater purpose in my life. And so even going through that, I didn't understand it, but Now I can help so many kids in different pockets that maybe struggle with different illnesses and sicknesses and things like that. So I just always say it's not building me, it's breaking me. And this is power. And it built a lot of emotional resilience, a lot of faith in my life, even at a young age. From the lessons, who was one of your greatest teachers, whether it was good or bad? Who was one of your earliest teachers that you learned from? Man, like as a child? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Okay, for sure. So. (laughs) I would say my, for one of my brothers, like I learned bad and good from them. You know, being the youngest, I learned what not to do and what to do, but definitely my parents. I mean, you know, my mom is in hospice right now. And so it's tough, but you know, I I learned from my mother, how to have faith. I learned from my mother, how to have resilience. And my mother is the one that really instilled the faith in my life. And I learned from my father, how to be a father, how to be a supportive husband, how to be there for your kids and so many lessons. So when I tell people like, I'm blessed to say that I didn't have to look far to find my heroes. You know, I can find my heroes in my household. I'm, of course, with my grandparents. And I lived across the street from a guy, you probably know him, Darren, or, or Gene Atkins, Gino's Atkins' father. So I lived across the street from Gino when he was a baby. And so we grew up in New Orleans together. And I always tell people this. When it came from the sports world, I was blessed enough to have an uncle. He coached for the Chargers. Well, they just got fired, but... He coached for the Falcons, uh, George Stewart. And so I remember going to training camp at times to see Jerry Rice and T.O. and living across the street from a Saints player. And I say that because it made the dream of football for me a reality because I'm seeing this guy work out. I'm seeing this guy as a human being. You know, sometimes we think our heroes in football are just like robots. And I see this guy and I'm like, dang, it is possible. I see Jerry Rice. I'm like, oh, this dude is a regular human being. He just works hard as hell. Okay, cool. And so that taught me that hard work can make any reality and dream come true. So I always tell kids, man, whatever it is you want to do, get around a person or people or watch YouTube videos that makes your dream uh, a reality. It makes it tangible that you feel like you can accomplish. Can you talk a little bit about just for those that don't know your story leading up to the dream, getting the dream, and then the the roller coaster ride that kind of led to the fall? Yeah. Yeah, so um, Texas had a great career in high school football, and I got a chance to go to Baylor. At that time, Baylor, we struggled. We were like the bottom of the Big 12, but I went to Baylor, 
And, you know, my career was great. Red shirted, ended up all Big 12. And so, I mean, you know how it is, Darren. Like, I was projected to go fourth or fifth round, you know, talking to my uncle. You know, he had some insights. And I was like, cool. And so I'm watching the draft. And, of course, I wasn't expecting to go on the first day. But I'm watching the draft, and, like, my name isn't getting called at all. And so, like, that's the first moment in my life. Because as athletes, we place our significance on our performance so much, right? Yeah. So, so much. Like, it's it's crazy. And so that was the first time in my life where I felt like I wasn't enough. It was the first time in my life where I really felt like, dang, is this going to be over? Am I going to have a chance? I remember my mom coming to me and saying, are you all right? And that's the first time of me running from my reality. I was telling my mom I'm good, even though I was worried like crazy, like I'm not good. After the draft goes off, they had some first round picks, Gonzalez and another uh, third round picks. So I was like, cool. So what do I do? I go, I what I thought was success was. So I go get a car. You know, I get my apartment. I think I'm good. I don't know that. I don't know the business at that point. And so I get all these things. And then literally two weeks, I get a call on Terrible Tuesday. I get a call and it's like, hey, come bring in your playbook. I right, say, like, no, come to the office or come to the facility. I'm like, all right, cool. I didn't never got cut before. So I'm thinking of something else. So anyways, they give me the speech. You know, it's a numbers game, blah, blah, blah. They release me. I go drive from Indy to Texas. I get home. And what I do is it's September. So I don't go out. I stay in my parents' house. I shelter myself because if I go out in the city, people can say, why are you at home? Aren't you supposed to be in Indy? And so I stay in, I run from my reality and I tell people all the time, man, and I learned this, what you suppress will turn into depression. And at that moment, I was running from my reality. And I always say, you'll never win your war by running from your battles. A week later, I get a call back, go back up there. And like, that's my whole career. So it got to a point where I stopped loving the game. It got to the point where I was so afraid that if I dropped the ball at practice and after, you know, I would get cut. And that was my whole career for three years going back and forth. So I said, I got cut probably eight or nine times, three different teams and uh, just trying to make it. And I lost myself in the journey. And instead of running to the things that I know would build me up, I ran to the things, you know, partying, all these things that were really breaking me down just to trying to run from my reality and numb the pain. So. I hit a rock bottom, man. I can relate to that so much. Just the mindset of the performance and like, I got to please these people. I got to hit these certain benchmarks to be okay, to be all right for them to give me that thumbs up. And yeah. the early part of my career, just in straight up fear, just straight up, you know, I couldn't even enjoy anything because I, it always had to do with impressing someone else. It didn't have to do with my authentic joy of the game. And I was listening to one of your podcast episodes the other day and it was talking about your selfish season. Yeah. I, uh, if I didn't step away from the game and go to rehab and start getting sober and building a life for myself as a human being first, I don't think that football would be in my life like at all. I don't think I would have in a life of prosperity or just happiness and peace right now. Could you explain to uh, people what you mean by uh, a selfish season and uh, how that could be helpful to them? Absolutely, brother. And I commend you for that, bro, because it's hard to look within yourself and to take the necessary steps that you need to heal as an athlete or just a male in general. It's always been taboo. We're warriors and we're not supposed to show weaknesses and mental health is foreign. And I'm glad now it's being open and talked about a lot more just in the sport and just in general. But for me, what I mean about selfish season, I always say something called protect your peace. And a lot of times we think that, and maybe it's the programming or the conditioning of the world, 
that we think that when we look out for ourselves and we step away or we say no, or we say, you know what, this is not for me. People might say that's selfish. Um, people might, you know, come at you and say, oh, you're just looking out for yourself. And the thing that I tell people all the time is every single day, every single morning, I make sure I got three kids, have a wife. I make sure that I take time for me because if I don't take time for me and I'm always giving, it's going to come a point where I have nothing to give anymore. It's going to become a point when I'm not the father that my kids need to, me to be. I'm not the, the CEO that my team needs me to be. I'm not the husband that my wife needs me to be. I'm not the friend that my friends need me to be. And so I'm always really thinking about what do I need to step away from? What do I need to silence so I can hear my soul? So for me, selfish season is me getting out in nature. It's me disconnecting from the world to reconnect to my soul. It's me getting off of social media. So with my mom's situation in November, we got worried. My mom's battling cancer. So in November, when they said she had a few weeks to live, obviously it broke my heart. And so I had to step away from social media. And that's my life. But I had to. I couldn't be on it. And so many people are like, Trent, are you okay where you're at? And I understood there's a lot of people I needed to serve, but I knew I couldn't serve them efficiently if I wasn't giving myself the time to heal, the time to process, the time to reflect and get myself out of a dark place. I'm just big on that. And so selfish season looks a little different for everybody else. But for me, it often means like doing the dark work. And what I mean by that is the work that nobody sees, right? It's listening to the podcast. It's reading the books. It's taking care of your body. It's having the conversations about the things you need to face and heal and fix. And I always say when you do the dark work and you do it properly, eventually that dark work uh, allow your soul to shine to the world. And people ask, hey, where did you do this? How'd you do this? Because the world's not going to applaud the dark work because the world doesn't see it. The world's just going to applaud the light that they see after the dark work is done. So that's what selfish season means to me, man. It's about burning whatever necessary bridges in your life that need to be burned that are leading your life back to destruction. And I look at everything in life as a bridge, every conversation, every interaction, every habit that I have. And I'm asking you this magic question. Is it leading me towards the person, the man that I want to be, or is it leading me from it? And sometimes I make decisions that lead me from it. And I have to face that reality and say, you know what? I don't need to do this no more. I don't need to be around this no more. So just about listening to your soul and yourself, man, and having that internal dialogue in this world of chaos, you know, you need to silence your mind. Absolutely, man. It's so much we feel like we, we have to do and have to accomplish and we don't want to take that time and be still. We feel like we'll get laughed. We feel like people are leaving us and that's powerful stuff right there. And just for from you changing your narrative from running from your reality now to stepping into it, helping people step towards it. What are some concrete or tangible steps you could give somebody that stepping towards that fear, those dark things are scary? Yeah. And, uh, supposed to be. There's no way around it. But how would you more so convince people that it that, that there's greatness on the other side, that there's something good waiting for them on the other side? Absolutely, man. There's such a great question. There's a few different ways. The first thing that comes to mind is fear controls so many people's lives, right? And we deal with fear every single day as human beings. I always say there's positive fear that keeps you alive. You shouldn't do something. There's also a fear inside of us that keeps us from becoming everything we need to become or healing into the person that we were created to be. And so the thing that I always tell people is this, and what's helped me is the fear of staying the same has to outweigh the fear of change. Period. The fear of saying, if I don't fix this, I'm going to be like this in six years. Nothing is going to happen. That has to be more powerful than the fear of trying to progress. I'll put it on me. There was a time in my life where I would rather stay in a known pain, like a pain that I know is not going to change, than move into an unknown peace. Because as humans, we like to stay 
what's familiar, even in moving on from something. We would rather stay in something that we know is not going to change than move on to something different. That's one thing. Like you have to switch that perspective and say, what is it costing you not to do it? Right? Not what's going to happen if I fail, because failure is just a feedback. Failure is just a sample. We can grow from that. But what is it costing you not to do it? What is it costing your kids? What is it costing your business? What is it costing your health not to do it? And I think when you program your mind like that and you future forecast that and you look in the future, it becomes easier and you gain leverage to be able to make that decision. And the second thing that I tell people is the power of perspective. I talk about this a lot. Your perspective is everything. And the thing about perspective, and I get it, maybe a lot of things influence your perspective, your circumstances, your environment, your perspective is in your control. Your perspective is the window of how you see the world. Can't nobody control your perspective but you. And this is the thing. Your perspective can be one or two things, at least what I've realized. It could be your prison or it can be your power. Prison perspective is somebody listening to this podcast right now and saying, I hear you guys, but I hear you guys and finding excuses. And I know that word is a little bit insensitive, but that's what it is. It's an excuse. And sometimes we create excuses to make us feel good or okay without making the change in our life. But a prison perspective, I'll be honest. So we just had in Texas, like y'all probably seen it like snowmageddon here. It was crazy. We had no water. Like it was insane. And when it happened, I first went into the prison perspective. I was like, this sucks. I have no internet. Like I got things I got to be doing. It's cold. You know, I got no water to even take a shower. And when we had water, it was cold water. So I'm like, man, like I don't mind taking cold showers, but I wouldn't have the option for a hot one too. And my perspective sucked. And I just immediately said, how is this serving my peace? How is this serving my environment with my family? How is this serving my life? And immediately I said, it's not serving my life. So I had a choice in that moment. I can keep that perspective that I knew wasn't going to help me. Or I can say, you know what? Let me look at this from a different lens. There's people that have to live in this every single day. You got a roof over your head. You got your kids here. My daughter ain't never seen snow like that. Y'all can now build snowmen, have snow fights. Y'all can do so many things as a family that maybe before has been so busy because I've been praying to God like, man, I need more time. I need more free time. It's funny how prayer sometimes can answer. And so immediately I shifted my perspective to the power of perspective. So I want to tell people that, man, like how you see life will determine how you feel about life. How you feel about life will determine what you do with your life. What you do with your life will determine what you get. So if you want to change your situation, start by keeping your perspective in your power. I love that. And I, so much to unpack there, and I'm not going to try to be too long winded here, but the fear with perspective. And I believe that it's our relationship to fear. Fear can either freeze us or it can fuel us. So it comes back to, you answered it, your perspective on it. People that fear death to the point where they grip and grasp and never live or you could look at death as a way to actually live. And so I love that you fused the fear and the perspective together. And, and I believe of the clarity of our perspective, it's determined by the quality of our practices, mm-hmm. gratitude, the self-love that you talked about, filling our own cup, like making sure that we're not putting everybody else's needs before our own needs. So I don't know. I've always been on this whole self-love kick. I lead a retreat called Love Yourself. I'm sure I've brought this up before, but it brings so much joy to see three men, guys, talking about loving themselves and self-love. To me, this is like, oh man, it just warms my heart, man. It gets me so excited to even talk about this with you guys. 
Yeah, I love it, man. I'm the same with you, brother. Like, I'm all about knowing your worth, all about self-worth, all about that stuff, man, because it needs to be said more. It doesn't need to be taboo amongst men not to talk about loving ourselves and taking care of ourselves. So I'm glad we can have this conversation, too, man. It's it's awesome. Yeah, I feel like we chased all three of us, at least, and plenty of men that's listening to this right now. We've all chased after things that thought would get us what we wanted, that thought would get us to the place that we wanted to be, the field where we wanted to feel. but it wasn't that way. I was three years into the league and had access to women, had money, but I was miserable. Whereas when I started to get my life back on track, I was making $11 an hour at Sprouts and going to recovery meetings. And I was feeling better about my life. I felt like my life had more purpose in it in that time, which is completely taboo to most culture in the world today. But that's just what we find when we go through that stuff. And the few things we can control in this world is our perspective. And we can definitely do that in you. And you told us about how you got to the dark place in your life. But tell us a little bit of how you got from that dark place to where you are now. Yeah, man, for sure. And I just want to like acknowledge that, bro, what you just said, because I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, no matter where you go, you always bring you with you. And one of the things that I love to say, no matter what you have, you can have everything. But if you don't fix yourself at the core level internally, you'll still have nothing. And I'm glad you stated that because some people think, oh, when I get to the NFL or when I get a title, when I get a certain amount of money, everything's going to be okay. It's like buying a new car, but you might feel okay for a little bit, but then you get used to it or buying some new shoes. Like it wears off. And then once that wears off, you still have to deal with your pain and your situation. So I love that you talk about that, man, because so many people think they're missing something, but the thing that they're missing is the appreciation for their life. And that opens them up to receive the other things in their life, man. But to answer your question, brother, I always walk people through this process. I'm not going to go through it, but it was facing my reality was one. I call it the rehab process. And that's my organization, Rehab Time. And it means putting strength back to a weakness. And I took that from athletically. Like, you know, you go through rehab, it sucks. <laughs> and you want to, sometimes you want to get out there earlier and then you get hurt quicker. And so I was like, man, I want to take the same process, mind, body, and soul. And so one, it was facing my reality. And when I talk about reality, it's acceptance. Like I had to accept this is over. Had to accept it, especially sports, because I was hanging on the football, not because I loved it, but because who would I be without it? And so I was so afraid to let go. So I had to accept that. The second part was release. I had to release the things in my life that I need to release. And I love to say this. People say, don't burn bridges. I, I agree, like to an extent, especially over little things, because you never know who you might meet, who you might need. But there's certain bridges in your life that need to be burned because there's certain things your life cannot afford to go back to. So whether it's people an environment or whether it's a habit of yours. So I had to do that hard work. And that was tough. I had to change my circle. I had to change my habits, all of that stuff. That was hard. But then the main part I felt like that really changed my life was I call it repair. So after you release, you have to repair your life because you can't just leave voids there. You have to fill those voids. The quote that I like to use with repair is the only way to harbor true strength is to conquer pain at its deepest level. And so a lot of times we try to solve things at surface level. Like we say, okay, man, this is the problem or like an injury. You might say, oh, my hamstring hurts and you, you put some tins, you know, some ice, but maybe it's hurting because another muscle in your body is not working properly, right? And we don't ever dive through that. And so with my life, I had to dive deep and I had to get down to the root reason of why I was doing certain things, why I thought certain ways, why I lacked confidence. Was it the seeds that my teachers planted? In? Was it the seeds that, you know, that I planted in myself, my parents? And I had to dig up those seeds because if you don't get down to the root issues, 
those situations, those problems, those habits, whatever it is, will find its way back to the surface. And so that was the the main thing that changed my life, man. I dug up those seeds of doubt and I replaced those seeds with seeds of faith, with seeds of confidence, with seeds of growth, with seeds of perseverance. I had to have conversations with myself and with other people to really do the hard work. And so I started reading books. Even that's and it's crazy that I wrote two books, but I was like, reading books was foreign to me. Lil Wayne was my mentor at that. Like, so reading a book, yeah, right. You know, I started taking care of my body in a different way. Like I thought a salad was healthy, you know, at that time. So I started taking care of my nutrition, understanding that affected my mental health. And then my spiritual walk, I stopped just talking about God so much. Cause I think sometimes we can get to a place where we talk about God so much that we forget to talk to God. And so I made sure that I was talking to God enough and building my spiritual life. And so that was a process, man. And I continue to do that, that same process very often, face my reality, release the things I need to release, repair my life. And I call it repeat just to make sure that I'm growing, I'm progressing. That's outstanding. Yeah. Uh, can you elaborate on how you got into the speaking world, how you got into the work that you're doing right now? Yeah, man. So <laughs> I'm an introvert. Like I am an introvert. Like, and it's, I'm, I'm such an introvert that my parents still trip out today when they see me speak. They're like, that's not my baby. Like I was out of the three brothers, I would be the last pick to be a speaker. And so to kind of make this, I don't want to take too much time on this. Throughout my whole life, my dad's a pastor. Throughout my whole life, I've heard people say, you got to call on your life to be a speaker. And I heard it, but I was so wrapped up into what I wanted to do that I didn't receive it. Ever since I was like five years old, I would go to these conferences with my mom. But when I was playing arena football in Tulsa, a pastor brought me down and just other people like would speak into my life. It's like, when you speak, you have something about you. So the moment that really made it real for me was my good friend, Jonathan Evans, Dr. Tony Evans' son. So J.E., we played at Baylor together. We played a little bit at Washington, but we got really close. And we would have these conversations. He was like, bro, he's like, my sister, my brother, my dad, my mom, they're speakers. And he's like, you have something in you. He's like, you quiet, but when you talk, you have something in you. So I want you to speak at this youth conference. And you know how it is, bro. I was like, no way. Like speaking to 13, 14-year-olds, man, I'm not trying to go out like that. No. He was like, it's just five minutes and it's 3,000 kids. I'm like, no. And at that time I was doing music. I was like, I'll rap or something like that, but I'm not doing that. He said, nah, speak, man. He's like, I see some of you, you don't see in yourself. And the crazy thing about it, I was supposed to go to New Orleans to play for the Voodoo and arena football that day. I called the coach and I said, hey, can I come Saturday? He's like, yeah, you know, go speak. Cool. I knew I didn't want to go to New Orleans. And I was praying like, man, just give me a sign. Make a long story short, I get on this stage, I prepare a whole speech. Like I knew it. It's five minutes. I knew it, could recite it. As soon as I grab the microphone, I look out, I go blank. I go, I forget everything. And at that moment, I said, God, use me. And I spoke. And five minutes, the kids came up to me after. It was like, man, that was the best, blah, blah, blah. And at that moment, I knew that this was meant for my life because I felt confidence in the midst of fear. I fit security in the midst of insecurity. And that's when I started rehab time. And I kid you not, six months later, video started to go viral and everything else. And I called the coach for the voodoo. He hung up on me. He was like, all right, click. And I was like, I knew this was the right decision, even though, you know, the calls that I made didn't reflect that because people didn't understand the vision. So it took you letting go of what you wanted to do. <laughs> To grab a hold of what you're trying to do. That's not my line. That's your line. (laughs)
Exactly, man. It did. And that's hard, man. It's hard when, you know, you wrap everything around what you want to do and with your life. And I always say, man, and most people don't want to hear it because sometimes your dreams and your purpose can be tied together, but sometimes you got to let go of your dreams and grab a hold onto the purpose God has for your life. And that's tough. You know, uh, I think that it's freedom when you do that. Yeah. So many things you say just really have always resonated with my heart. The other piece of this that kind of ties into, I think, where I'm at and and what really the evolution of Trent Shelton was the whole, your transparency can lead to somebody else's transformation. But it was my transparency, which just sharing publicly my story of addiction, which is, you know, a very small platform compared to maybe Darren's through his journey and being on hard knocks and, and really kind of publicly sharing his story, his past on there. But man, everything changed. Everything changed for me when I shared my stuff, like everything I was so afraid of and like my past buried me in guilt and shame. And all of a sudden I share it. And it was the like most spiritual thing ever because I found my voice. I found my purpose. This is what I knew I was most confident talking about. And it just blows my mind that God could actually use the terrible decisions that I made my messy past to actually help someone else. And really, that's the reason us three are sitting here today. It's just the coolest thing, man. And doesn't it bring so much healing to you once you realize that your past had a purpose, you know, and you realize, dang, I didn't go through that for no reason. And you share that testimony. I find my healing every day when somebody's like, hey, because of this podcast or because of this message, I'm like, dang, I'm glad I lost my dream at that time. And so I just feel like it brings so much healing to your life, man, when you share. Absolutely. And then just even for Darren to speak on him and watch him even this last year on what he's talking about on his interviews, on football show interviews, there's a little bit of football, but there's so much more. They're talking about comeback stories and talking about his past and talking about his music. And to me, it's, man, this is what it's all about. He is more than just a football player. He's a human and Mm -hmm. he's able to create his purpose even though football is a part of it, I'll let him speak on this, but like, it's not the end all be that brother for real. Yeah. For me. So it's crazy. Cause I look back and I see just how precise God is, just how like he ordered everything. And it's just wow, like, it, it just makes too much sense now because I didn't even want to play anymore. Like I was sabotaging myself out of the league by failing every single drug test possible uh, until they literally put me out and I didn't even want to come back. But God seen, he saw that I was finally willing to open up to him and surrender the mess that I thought I had under control and to start opening up to spiritual principles, and things of that nature. And when that started happening, I could start hearing his voice. Like I could just start hearing it like inside of me. And it was like, I could hear him saying, I'm going to put you back in that league that you were miserable in, that you were afraid in, that you didn't feel like you were worthy in. And you're going to inspire people there because you separated yourself from that as an identity. And so now I can use you to go in there and then that fame isn't going to change you, isn't going to sway you. You're anchored on something that's deeper than that. You're here to inspire and people can see you there. And this platform is here for, for, for me, for God to get the glory. And it's just an amazing process for me to be somewhere and enjoying it. Whereas years before, when it was under my own power, I was miserable in it. It's just, it is, it's crazy to speak on it and to see people derive inspiration from it. Like I was the opposite of inspiration 
years ago. Like I wanted to be in a dark room by myself, not talking to nobody. I didn't want to speak in front of people. I wasn't going to share my deepest and darkest things that were going on in my life. That just wasn't going to happen. And, uh, but, but God had other plans for me, just like he had other plans for Donnie. Just he had other plans for you. Uh, yeah, this is a, this is a monumental thing today. Man, that's amazing, bro. And I want to commend you like publicly, bro, because it is so needed. I, I coach boys and my son is 12 and it's the things that I'm trying to instill in them. Hey, like you are more than your sport. And it's hard to understand that at that age when you so much value is put on it, but seeing guys like yourself and having them be able to like, look at Darren, look what he's doing, look what he's been through. And, and seeing that bro is so needed. And especially because I want to ask you this too, because so when you made your comeback, because you made it to the Pro Bowl this year, is this your first one or did you make one before that? So I had a thumb surgery after the 2019 season, but if I didn't have that surgery, like I could have held out and I would have been in the Pro Bowl because Kelsey went to the Super Bowl. So I would have been in two, but I wanted to get that injury fixed. So I wouldn't have to delay anything with the team the, the following year. So what year was the year that you left the league? I was suspended for the entire 2017 season. Got you. So when you came back, it's that's man, that's so dope because you came back and as you worked on yourself, it's even from the physical standpoint, you became better. You know what I'm saying? Probably because your life was lighter and more focused, bro. And it's just that's commendable, bro, that you stepped away, came back and even grew further, man. Like I, I'm at a loss for words for that because it's so pivotal for mental health. It's so pivotal for people to see it. I mean, we see what's going on with athletes like we see it. And so I just want to commend you, bro, and give you your flowers and, and light and, and using your platform and your stage to be an advocate for that because we need it. Yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. But it's, it's, it goes back to saying like what you said before about you got to take you everywhere you go with you. Yeah. Uh, I remember being out on that field before and I was not confident in myself because I was lying and everything that I was doing. I was manipulating. My integrity wasn't there. There was no real character. And so that carried on to the football field. And I knew that was the case in my life. So I couldn't perform the way I wanted to. But now when it's like that work has been done and those seeds have been planted, I can step out on the field and be okay with myself because I'm trying to give everything in my life a, an honest try. I'm trying to do it to the best of my ability. I'm going mess up sometimes and that's okay but my my soul and my mind are on better terms with me now because they know i'm trying to go about things in the way that i've always been capable of doing it yeah and that's just where i'm at now and i know a lot of people want to get to certain places and certain results but you know but fast tracking to get there isn't you're not going to develop what you need to develop in order to maintain that and so that's what i want people to know through my story is that i had to go through those you know, sprouts experiences, practice squad experiences to really humble myself and realize that, okay, like I have to be planted in the work of it. I have to be planted in the purpose of it, not the results, the yards, the catches and followers and likes. It has to be much deeper than that surface level stuff. Man, mic drop. (laughs) That's that's mic drop, bro. And that's so beautiful and incredible, bro. Cause that's what it's about, man. I salute you, bro. Like for that, like it really is needed. And this is the thing too. And you know this, but you're going to impact and you already are and have, but you're never going to be able to measure your true impact on the seeds that your story and what you're doing is planning in, in people's lives, bro. Like it's generational change, man, by you stepping up and doing this. So I appreciate you, man. Yeah, man. No doubt. It's a mean and just to even let you and even the audience in a little bit more on the work. So Darren and I work together every week. I, you know, started as his mental coach. Now I consider him one of my closest and best friends. 
But every week during the season, we would have following the games, just do a little breakdown, do a coaching session, reflect on the wins, uh, the losses. And my point in sharing this is that the work never stops, even though he was willing and took all this action that it's not like the work stops. He's continuing to do it. And when we talked about at the end of the season, what he was most proud of was his ability to stay in the middle and and not get too high when he's about to break the, the single season receptions record from Tim Brown and Tim Brown's hyping him up that he didn't get too high about that. And he didn't put too much pressure about doing it. It was about being able to stay in the middle. Always talk about the middle ground being the holy ground and not taking things personally, good or bad, because in his world, with the media, they're coming at you from every different direction. So it just it's a testament to the the continued work to have the grid and the emotional intelligence to focus on what matters. And the other thing he was most proud of is that he does things differently. Staying sober, not using the NFL as an excuse to live like a certain way. And that's what he said had made him so successful this year was doing things differently and not like following the herd. That's powerful, man. It's, it's so funny that you say stay in the middle because so many people deal with performance fear, especially public speaking. And I've dealt with it. And I always say, detach your emotions from the outcome as best as you can. Don't let it get you too high. Don't let it get you too low. And it's really helped me like stay focused. So that's like congruency and sharing that, man. So thanks for that. Yeah, let's get back. What do you, I want to ask you, what are you most grateful for in your life today? I know there's a lot of things that you could attach yourself to there's you're blowing up and it's for all the right reasons but i know your definition of gratitude has to have changed along the way what are you most grateful for today you know huh, that's a tough one man i'm gonna use one word fulfillment and understanding what fulfillment is for me understanding what truly matters and just being in a place of being able to like disconnect from the external things and, and i feel like that's why a lot of my journey allowed me to go through that football, NFL stuff. So when I got here as being a speaker and, and this content guy, whatever people want to whatever author, I'm able to handle it because I lived in my Mecca. And, and as an athlete, you know, like my Mecca, like everything that I wanted in my life, like that was the peak. It was nothing higher than professional football and having all that and still not having enough and realizing like that didn't fill up my soul and I still have voids. So now I realize, man, what true fulfillment truly is. And true fulfillment is experiences with my kids, experience with my friends, experiences with my families. And the reason I say that is because at some point in life, moments turn to memories and memories is all that you have. And so being able to be mentally free enough to just connect with my kids and connect with people that love me is has been great. And the impact in the work is all good and numbers, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, those things don't define me. What defines me is the experience I have with the people around me. So that's what I'm most grateful for. Yeah. What would you say to somebody that knows they're struggling, they're stuck, they know what's holding them back, but they, they don't know what to do about it? What would you say to that person? Yeah, they're stuck. They don't know what to do about it and it's holding them back. I would first tell them to ask themselves why. And I laugh, I chuckle because this would be me talking to myself 10 years ago, eight years ago. I just believe the quality of questions determine the quality of life. And I don't feel like we ask ourselves enough questions. I feel like we just accept things like, okay, I had a bad day. I just had a bad day. No, you probably had a bad day because there's a certain thing, certain events that's happened that led you to that. 
And so I would ask them to ask themselves, why? Where did this come from? Where did this mindset come from? Because a lot of times when it comes to fear, when it comes to doubt, when it comes to limitations, it's projected on us. Just on my IG live the other day, I said, is your fear really yours? And they, I can tell by the comments that people wasn't really getting what I was saying. But I was like, is your fear really yours? Or did somebody give you that fear? The fear of getting in a relationship, are you really scared of that? Is, or is it because maybe your parents got divorced or maybe you see somebody else failing, so now you don't want to do it? Is your fear of starting a business because you've seen somebody else fail at it? Or is it yours? And so you got to understand where that mindset, where that seed comes from. So that repair process, get back to asking yourself, why is this here in my life? That's one. Number two, I'm going to tell you to get around, I would say get a coach, but get around somebody who can be real with you, who could be honest with you and transparent with you. And that can really help you and ask for the help because you can't receive help. if You don't ask for the help. A lot of times we keep things in ourselves. We don't want to talk to people. We want to shelter everything. Nobody can help you or even help save you if you're not trying to save yourself. So I would say that, man, and get around an environment of people who force you to level up. That's what changed my life. It was, I didn't have all the answers. I didn't have the strategies, but I got around people who were at where I wanted to be. I got around people who I say, you know what? That's the life that I want to live. That's the father that I want to be. That's the the coach that I want to be. That's the, the speaker that I want to be. And I put myself around them and maybe not physically, but I put myself in their books. I put myself on their YouTubes and that helped me to open the door up to change. And then I always say, once you take that step on the journey, the journey is loyal to giving your life what it needs at that time to keep going. From that right there, I heard that there's nothing you can do that's great without a vision. Other people around you that have vision that can that can pour into you, that can push you towards figuring out what your true vision is. And without a vision, we just down here trying to scramble together what we could get, the money, the friends, the things. We're not living that life of fulfillment like you talked about. And vision is a priceless thing. Can't put no amount of money on it, but it could bring you so much more rewarding things. For the next question, I would like to ask you if you had one tweet that you could give to a younger Trent that was lost, that was trying to figure it out, that didn't have the rehab time formula in his life, and he was just looking for a way, looking for a way out. What would that one tweet be? What would that one quote from Trent Shelton be? It'd be a five-letter statement, man, that I tell myself every day to this day. And it's really not a, a quote. It's just a statement. It all starts with you. And that's what I would tell myself. Because a lot of times we think that we live in a BC mindset, as I call it, blame and complain. We think it's everybody's fault. And maybe it might be true, but how is that serving your life? When you don't take responsibility, you don't look at yourself in the mirror and say, I allowed it or I'm keeping myself in it. Then you give the situations the power to control your life. And the way you take the power back and say, you know what? It starts with me. Right? If I want to change my life, it starts with me. If I want to do better, it starts. With me. If I want to heal, it starts with me. It starts with a choice and a decision. And I say accept and change the AC mindset. So it all starts with you is a mantra for me that lets me know to take full responsibility over my life and to take the power back. So that's what I would tell myself. I love that because I say a similar thing where it's transformation happens from the inside out or change happens with me. It's the same thing. So many people are waiting for the world to change or waiting for a circumstance or the right situation or a family member to change where it starts with us. It starts with our thoughts, which create our perspective and our emotions and our attitudes towards a given situation. So 
I really love that that's your tweet. We don't do this alone. And, and this is really why we're doing this podcast to remind people that they're not alone. They're never alone. But who would you say for you gets your comeback story shout out? Who's that one person in your life that was always in your corner or that deserves a little love today? Yeah. You want it outside of my parents? Because they would be the Anybody you want, okay. man. Yeah. So I, I'm going to say my mom. Absolutely. I have a Bible over there and it's a cover. It says NFL on it and it stands for, it's like a pigskin and it stands for newfound life. And she gave me that when I first went to the Colts. And I'm going to be honest, I never really opened it until I started going through my hard times. And in there, it's a scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. And that scripture is something that sticks in my mind today. And my mom, when she was telling me that, I thought that was my new life, but it was something bigger than that. And so she's been a person that's always instilled faith in me as well as my dad. But my mom has always instilled faith in me and always instilled perseverance in me and always told me this. She always said, there's always something bigger than your life. Your current situation is not your final destination. She says that over and over. And that's always been like a thing that I held on to, to keep me pushing through life. My mom would definitely be the hero uh, in my life that was always in my corner, no matter what. Mm. Shout out to mom and love and peace and, and healing vibes to her for sure. Man, we appreciate you coming on. And I just want to acknowledge you first for showing up the way you do showing up for rehab time, which I love because, you know, I always say we're all recovering from something. So when I hear rehab time, that is exactly what I'm talking about, whether you're an addict, alcoholic, or just recovering from this last year, we're all recovering from something. So for you to implement this program, it's amazing in your fire, your inspiration, um, hearing you speak at Brendan Burchard's Influencer a couple of years ago, just really moved me to my core, man. And I've been following you for a while and it's a blessing and an honor just to share this space with you, man. So thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate y'all, man, what y'all doing and the impact y'all leaving on the world and in the space you're opening up for people to shine light and to share their stories and to share their comeback stories because people that haven't been through it yet, they need to find confidence in it through those stories. So I appreciate y'all, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for being here. Y'all go check out the Straight Up podcast with Trent Shelton, man. It's, it's, it's some wonderful stuff on there, transformational stuff on there thank you for being here sharing your story finding your purpose because you're helping millions of people find theirs uh thank you for telling your comeback story thank you brother i appreciate you man this is what i represent staying true till i'm six down it might take a little bit but every king's gonna get crowned